Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Let's Talk About It podcast. So today, I'm really happy to be sitting down with Craig Elias. Welcome to the podcast, Craig. Thank you very much for having me. Awesome. So I'm really looking forward to unpacking the whole sales secrets, so sales secrets for introverted entrepreneurs. So that's, that's a really interesting topic to a lot of us. So Craig, if you want to, before we dig into that, Craig, if you want to give a bit of background about your um, experience in this space, and then we'll get into the conversation. Yeah, so I, I'm going to start off by admitting I'm an extrovert, but just not like an extrovert. I'm like an extrovert's extrovert. Like I am way out on <laughs> that far end. I started in the hospitality world and ended up getting hired as an inside salesperson for a company selling technology. And when I first went, I was told that don't expect to be in outside sales because we take engineers, we train them for two years on product and put them in outside sales. I lasted less than 60 days in that job. Wow. And I got, prom but I got promoted to outside sales. Okay. And shipped off to Edmonton. And then I had this like 16, 17 year track record, just being this golden child who just had this knack of always showing up in the right place at exactly the right time. Right up until I joined a tech firm the day before 9-11 and trying mm. to sell something shortly after 9-11 was super hard, but like always happened, I got lucky. And in less than six months, I'm the number one sales guy in the entire country. Now, Unfortunately, that company was called WorldCom, and 21 days later, they admitted to conducting $11 B billion worth of accounting fraud, and nobody would buy from me. And I reflected on all my luck as a sales guy. When was I good? When was I great? And when was I just unstoppable? I figured a few things out, started a company, ended up winning a global billion-dollar idea pitch competition, got a million-dollar prize, moved to California, became a dad, came back, and then started helping entrepreneurs, six, eight, 10 coffee meetings a week, helping them get started. And funnily mm. enough, a lot of those entrepreneurs were introverts. And I mm. had to learn how to teach introverted entrepreneurs how to be successful at sales. So when we had this idea for this topic of sales secrets for introverted entrepreneurs, it was like, I can do that. Yeah, awesome. Right. Yeah, and similar to yourself, I, I'm an introvert and my first job at university was also selling as well selling life and pensions and savings as a really neat way to bring in money as you come out of university. But then what I quickly realized is that, yeah, much as you think you have to be loud and outgoing and gregarious, that, that has a place for sure. What I found in my experience in sales is just working the numbers, just that routine of consistent, ongoing repetition of calling up the leads, following up, calling out, you know, making connections. And as a result of that, really got some really good traction and was like you said, top performer in my sales team for a number of number of years before I then moved into an IT organization and then luckily now an IT consultant. And I, and I love the opportunity now to help entrepreneurs, small businesses know which technology to really grow with, but then also share some of that selling secrets and why selling it isn't a bad word. Agreed. And, and I think one of the things that might be helpful for the audience is maybe defining introverts versus extroverts. So I'm mm. going to ask you a question. I'm going to reverse this for a second. So from based on what you've heard or learned or been told, how do you define an introvert from an extrovert? Yeah, so this is, this is really interesting. So my base definition that I always go to is I get energy from reflection, quiet time, alone time, so then I can give that energy back to other people and groups. 
So it's not to say I don't like speaking in front of large groups and I don't like being uh, around other people. It's just I need time to recharge and reset before unleashing on other people. And it's funny, people talk about Zoom fatigue. I don't get Zoom fatigue. <laughs> I can do this all day, like right. all day. But there's a but there's another definition that I think is worth helping the audience understand. Mm. And this is the way that I have learned, especially from the perspective of entrepreneurship, describing an extrovert from an introvert. And an extrovert acts, does something, and as a result of doing something, learns something. So then they act differently. So they either do it more or do it differently as a result. Mm. And what happens is those cycles are really quick. Act, learn, act, yes. act, learn, act, act, learn, act. Introverts tend to be much more afraid of making mistakes. They take all this time to learn something. And when they spend all this time learning, they do this little action and they realize they were wrong because it's in the acting that you learn something. Mm. Now they're even more risk averse than before. They take even longer to learn for the next piece. So one of the things that I have come to believe is that yes, in many ways, introverts can be better salespeople than extroverts, but introverts need to learn how to act a little more like an extrovert. If we have a belief or a hypothesis based upon some early research, Let's go test that hypothesis. Let's do something mm. to validate or invalidate that before we go on. So yes. whatever we do within these cycles, the only reason that extroverts tend to be more successful than introverts is they get more of these cycles done in the shorter time frame. So if there's 10 mistakes you got to make, extroverts just have a habit of making those mistakes faster than yes. introverts. And that's why in some respects, people think extroverts are really good salespeople because they've learned to make those mistakes really fast. And sometimes introverts, especially as entrepreneurs, don't like sales as it is. And then they do the learn, act, learn method. Yeah, see, I call it, I call it that recharge. I call it that recharge period. Yeah. So it's, it's shortening that recharge period. And that's where I think all of us introverts or extroverts have learned the, the new energy coming from continuous teams and zooms meetings and like you say you love it you get so much energy from other people as an extrovert and then as an introvert i also get energized from from the zoom meetings but what i love it i've learned more and more is that reach out period is much shorter now between meetings because you're jumping from zoom to teams to zoom to teams all the way all through the day so that that like you say that that refresh period is absolutely key just to say shorten as much as possible and then try new things get out there make new yeah. conversations there's there's very little very few i love the, the jeff bezos analogy there's very few one-way doors two-way doors versus one-way doors it's yeah. you know one-way door is a big decision buying a house buying a car it's difficult to to reverse that decision but in business in day-to-day -day, most of our decisions are two-way you can typically reverse the decision or course correct it very very easily and what i often talk to fellow introverts about especially in the entrepreneur space is just think about two-way decisions. Think about two-way door decisions. Just think about how quickly you can reverse it if you need to, but if most often you don't have to. And I, I love the point you made earlier around reflecting your goals. When you were selling, you were regularly looking back on what worked and what didn't, and then adjusting it. And that's one of the, as a project manager by background, that's one of the first things I talk to entrepreneurs about is when you need to safeguard your funding, 
have some goals, you need to set those goals and then review them on a, on a weekly, monthly and a quarterly basis. Don't wait to end of year because if you wait to the end of the year, it's too late. But if you look at the end of the month, here's where your goals are either working or not working. Do more of what works, do less of what doesn't work. Yeah, so can I mess with that formula a little bit? Yeah, for sure. So, so one of the things that I figured out in the summer of 2002 is that analyzing your lost deals is useless. And the reason is, is because what ends up happening is more times than not, the reason you lost the sale is you didn't have a strong enough relationship to get the information needed to win the deal. And then when you lose a sale, because you don't have a relationship, people just want to get rid of you. And mm. they say, oh, you didn't have a really good price. The, what I did for the first time in 2002 was I only reflected on the deals that I won. What were the deals I won, especially the deals that happened really quick. They didn't complain about price. They're willing to be a reference. So I totally get it's a numbers game, but the data says if you focus on the motivated buyers, you're twice as likely. So you'll grow twice as fast. But what happens is the reason you won the business was because you had a really good relationship and you learned all the things that you needed to understand to win the deal. And those people care about you. So they tend to be much more honest and candid around why did they choose you? So what was the event that made them unhappy with the status quo is one of those first questions. Mm. Um, when did those events happen? So very often there's something that leads up to that event where someone becomes dissatisfied and starts thinking of changing. What made them choose you? We don't ask why questions because why questions make people defensive. Like what made them choose you? And if we listen carefully, what we hear are verbs and verbs describe the value or the outcome someone got by becoming our customer. And now mm. we have a value proposition we can then spoon feed to everybody else we want to go get to. Mm. The last question I'm a big believer of is asking, what can we do to make it easier to become our customer? And Kurt Lewin talks about force field analysis, driving forces and restraining forces. It's not about creating more driving forces. It's about understanding what prevents people from becoming our customer how do we understand those barriers or hurdles? Mm. And how do we find a way to take them away? BJ Fogg talks, so F-O-double-G is his last name. Got it. Talks about these things called motivation waves. And one of the secrets for selling is how do you put the hard part of the sale at the front part of the cycle, not at the bat park at bat back part of the cycle because people are really motivated at the beginning part and that motivation wanes mm. so part of that secret for introverts is don't put the hard stuff at the end when they're less motivated put the hard stuff at the front end when they're more motivated nice love it can i can i just rewind because you mentioned yeah. a really interesting point there around not using the why because people get yeah. defensive and it's interesting because we're taught, see so much in the, Simon Sinek springs to mind, get yeah, to the totally why. And, yeah. and, but, so talk to me about why, why we don't get to the why. Yeah, so we want to understand the why, we just can't ask why. Okay. To be like, why are you doing this podcast from the UK? Why are we doing it in the morning? Why are you wearing blue? Why do you have a jacket on when you're inside? It instantly makes people defensive. So can you convert those questions into a what question? Mm. So what makes you wear blue? People say, Craig, what makes you wear the orange golf shirts all the time? Instead of saying, why do you wear orange? It's like, you think, you think of your spouse or kids or parents going, why are you doing that? Instead of saying, you know, what makes you do that? Because mm. when you say, what makes you do that? 
it sounds like you're much more curious and less accusatory. So what questions are really good? And then maybe if sometimes you want to convert that to a how question, how did you decide to pick on to pick us? But the what and why, what and how questions are way more curiosity focused mm. than accusatory focused. So I yes, it. I agree with Simon. We have our own whys. We want to understand their why. We just need to learn how to ask what or how to understand the why. Now there's two pieces of this. One is asking the question. But then it's, what do you do when they finish with the answer? And this is where introverts, I think, have an advantage. Because when there's an answer, the secret is to not ask another question right away, mm. but to give people six seconds of silence. And I'm going to use that silence while I let my dog in my office. Hold on. Otherwise, you'll bark. Right? And then what ends up happening is people become uncomfortable with that silence. And then they tell you more information, information you would not have gotten at mm. through direct questioning. Now, yes. the, if it turns polls. out that at the end of six seconds, they don't say anything, you can perhaps rephrase or repeat the last two or three words that they just said to you. Then they'll go, yeah, I really, for me, it was really important that we get this done on time. And I'm going to wait for six seconds. And then I'm going to ask the question on time. And all of a sudden, more stuff comes out. And then introverts, because they're not in a hurry to get 20 questions answered, can then perhaps ask what is called a second order question. Ask a question based upon the answer you've just been given. Exactly. So instead of being an extrovert and saying it's an interrogation, I got 20 questions before we can go today, you start with three and you're really curious and you take your time. And it's not about listening so you can talk, it's about listening so you can learn because you earn sales, you earn what you learn. Love it. So I'm going to pick up on that because I've got a new, new yeah. technique. I just want to recognize your dog though, because I love dogs. Yeah. I have two dogs myself. So <laughs> dogs in podcasts is perhaps a new thing to bring into this. <laughs> Instead of coffee, it starts with uh, coffees in cars. It's, uh, it starts with dogs in podcasts. <laughs> but um, yeah, so what I want to be, yeah, and that six seconds probably feels like an eternity, especially yeah. on a Zoom call as well. And especially for introverts. Yes. But what it, and a neat technique I was taught many years ago by one of my speaking coaches as well is the, the acronym of OAR, or so when you're taught, having a conversation, this works in personal and business. So you offer a piece of information, O, then you A, ask about it. And then more importantly, R, you respond. And that could be a question, but either way, you'll this is the, basis of any good conversation so like you said earlier in terms of hey craig i know the weather's really cold in calgary today is the o a is the ask how do you feel about that and then there's a response then you say something like it's really cold and i hate it because i used to live in california and then my response is yeah i know because then you've given me a nugget oh california what i love about california is and then blah 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 so you, you're creating the offer uh, sorry the uh, yeah the observation or opinion the ask and then the response you're offering something up and it creates a great conversation structure well and i think part of what we're talking about is one of those things that for a lot of the introverts their original perspective of sales is it's pushing something mm, right? Right. and they don't like that whole piece they don't like cold calling emailing whatever else but as soon as i think you say to an introvert it's all about 
how do you build relationships, not sell something? So what you talk about is totally valid. The term that I have learned to use, the term is called propinquity. Okay, so that again. So it's P-R-O-P-I-N-Q-U-I-T-Y. Propinquity okay. is the impact of nearness. Now, the classical definition is geographical or psychological nearness, but it's also a chronological nearness. People that are plus or minus seven and a half years your own age, you tend to have similar things in, in common. That works really well. The psychological nearness is what, do you have an alignment in your aspirations? So how do you want to leave the planet a better place? Your values, what are the things you're not willing to give up in order to be successful? And your interests, the things you do to pass the time. So one of the things that extroverts tend to be good at is they tend to be good at surrendering a little bit of information about themselves mm. in order to get the other person to surrender a little information about themselves. The academic term for this is called the Johari window, J-O-H-A-R-I, created by two guys, Joe and Harry. Mm. And the more you have in common, the stronger that relationship. What, what introverts can learn to do is they can learn to actually ask questions to let the other person surrender information first, so then they feel more comfortable perhaps surrendering information later. Yes. So I'm a big believer, if you're an introvert, the best time to phone people is Monday morning. Really? Because what are you going to do on Monday morning? You're going to phone that person up. You're going to go, hi, John. It's been a while since we chatted, blah, blah, blah. What did you get up to this weekend? So now that person's saying, oh, I went skiing. Oh, where did you go skiing? And they get to have that conversation. When do you think might be the second best time for an introvert to phone somebody? Tuesday morning or Tuesday afternoon? No, Friday after lunch, because you get to call someone and say, what are your How plans you? for the weekend? Oh, we're going camping. Oh, you camp? Like, where do you go? So that, that allows you to start this relationship building process based upon propinquity, the things you have in common, that makes people feel more comfortable now as an introvert mm. selling instead of before, because otherwise they feel like they're just pushing rope yep. instead of someone pulling on the thread. And it's all about fostering those kind of relationships. Who Michael Bosworth, I'm sure you've heard that name, sales trainer mm. for a million years, you know, consultative selling shoves process, process, process down people's throats. Because his perspective was that A players had a better process than B players. And if you took an A player extrovert sometimes, mm -hmm process and gave it to a B player, it would work. It doesn't work because what the A players had a really good knack of doing is building relationships. So what ended up happening is after 25 years, Michael Bosworth totally changed his tune. He actually wrote a book called What Great Salespeople Do. It's mm. not about process. It's about the relationship. Yes. Yeah. Right? I love it. It's the, another way to put it is connection. I, I, do a course uh, for mainly for accountants and IT specialists, but also entrepreneurs as well about becoming a trusted advisor, building that trust with your uh, business relationships, stakeholders, customers. And it's five C's of which the second C is connection. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a personal connection. It's just like you say, I love the word proximity and closeness, because if you're close on something in common, and that could be work, that could be a project. But to your point, you have to offer up something to get that connection, to get that closeness. You can't just say, tell me about your project. It's going back to that why. It's to get people defensive. Yeah, so, so who talked? So Charlie Green wrote the book with 
I forget the other two people. So Charlie and I chatted on multiple occasions, but Charlie wrote a, this is called this trusted advisor white paper. And they looked mm. at the six different personality styles and this whole piece around what people look like. I'm actually trying to see if I can find it right away, but mm. there were six styles and the style that had, that was most effective had two characteristics. The first one was the R and the second one was the I and the okay. R was reliability. So I know that when Craig says he's going to get something done by Tuesday, it'll be done by Tuesday. In fact, yes. I know Craig, he's going to get it done by early Tuesday morning, like 5.30, or he'll do it Monday night. That's the R piece. The I piece was that whole intimacy. Mm. And it turns out the experts aren't the people that are most successful. If I can find a way to find that trusted advisor white paper, it was, for me, it was super interesting to see that the R and the I combination was the most powerful out of all six that Charlie and the gang came up with. Yeah, I reframed that that uh, consistent as consistency, the reliability consistency. It's the easiest way to build and rebuild trust if you've lost it, because it's very, very simple. It just takes a bit of effort. That's, that's the key is you have to, to your point, when you say you're going to follow up, you have followed up. And if you're not going to follow up, let them know. And it can be as easy as just writing notes after a meeting saying, oh, hey, we had a great meeting. Wanted to have this thought on this article you might find interesting. Here, here it is. And just following through on what you say you're going to do, which a lot of people don't do, which is surprising. Yeah. Yeah. The six, the six types. But yeah, it just shows that so that the, the data shows how common it is and most effective. So mm. the, the research says that it was the third most frequent combination. 17% of the group had it, but it was the single most effective method of yeah, being a trust. Pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. So let's so for the for the audience, I just want to always leave them with something of value, yeah. like you say, Craig. Now, so when I dig deeper into a bit of a how do I start as an entrepreneur in selling? So if I'm introverted, I hate selling and my business is just starting, I've got a new service and I can't wait to, well, I know it's amazing and I'm in this mentality of build it and they will come. But then what should I do if I hate selling? Where do I start? Really good question. I think the first thing, if you hate selling, the first thing to do is to read. Okay. And the first, thing I the first thing I recommend is Spin Selling, Chapter 4 mm. by Neil Rackham. You can go to the internet site, type in Spin Selling, Chapter 4 PDF. Yep. And it, it is about not just understanding, because what happens as an introvert, and, and junior salespeople are just like this. We start by talking about what are the situations people are in. We don't get to the next nugget, which is what is the problem that they have that maybe I can solve? Mm. And even if they get to the problem part, they, they don't get to the, what's the implication of that problem or what's the impact of that problem? So get into the eye and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, hang on a second. Now I understand the situation, but the problem that it creates and the impact of that problem. Now I know you have a need. Now I'm not pushing rope. People are pulling thread. So that's the first thing. I definitely think reading goes a really long way. I'm trying to think if there's another really good book. That's the, that's the first thing I think of. I think that's a really good book. I also think there's some really good stuff in a book that's a million years old called Soft Selling in a Hard World mm. by a guy named Jerry Vass. And there's a, there's a piece in that book, which Jerry gave me permission like 15 years ago to take an excerpt from his book around a strategy called flanking. Okay. So the whole idea is we're not trying to sell people with a frontal attack. 
because you'll encounter this good old fashioned British coat of armor from the Knights of the Round Table. Right. But you try to go around the back and, and you go to your first few people and say, I'm working on this idea to solve a problem. Would love to get your perspective on what I'm working on. Mm. So it's all about the perspective. And then when they talk about things, whatever answer they give, my favorite question to then ask is, what makes you say that? Understand the context that people have. Then when you see where there's pull, natural pull on this thread, the goal is how do we go find more people just like that? So it is, and so the term is early adopter. The way that I think about early adopters is early adopters are people that recently had something happen, some change, some event, the triggers dissatisfaction with the status quo. Mm -hmm. And if you focus on these people, they're the ones that are more motivated. And these are the ones that are more mo most likely to change. Mm -hmm. And when you get to them early in the buying process, you get to maybe redefine the problem because they think they have a problem, but you're like, I don't think that's the problem. I think that problem's caused by this. And the implication of that problem is what you're talking about. Yeah. So you need a way to solve. So you reframe the problem and then you start designing the solution. And when you're adding value on the front part of a sales cycle, you then end up being the person that gets chosen. So it's all about being first, being preferred, and then being chosen in the process. Mm. I love that idea of flanking because that's, again, takes away this pushiness of sales. Yeah. It's really about the, and I love the idea of that opinion. It's something I've often used as well when going out to people more, more to get feedback. I love feedback and people are often scared of getting feedback, but the way you put it there is something that's similar to what I've used as in, Hey, colleague, friend, I've just uh, done this piece of work or I'm thinking of offering this to the market or think of developing this product. What do you think? And then that naturally leads on to a feedback, which is always awesome because you're asking potential customers what they think of your product. But then you're also asking, you're also triggering a, do you know of anyone else who might be interested in this? Or, or so, so you can say that. So in my world, maybe do you know who'd be interested? That might be a little too salesy for some introverts. Mm. You could say, who else can I talk to about this? Right. Yep. So then you're going to give me a name and I'm going to pick up the phone. I'm going to call Bill Gates and go, hi, Bill, my name's Craig. I got your name from John. And I'm like, oh, John, how do you know John? And all of a sudden, you as an introvert have way more credibility and the other person's perception of risk has gone way down. Mm. You get to have these really interesting candid conversations. So when I'm finished with my conversation with Bill Gates, I'm like, who else can I talk to that might have an opinion about this? Oh, you know what, Craig? You should talk to Barack Obama. And all of a sudden I phone Barack and Barack says, <laughs> hey, Craig, you know Bill? How do you know Bill? So that's my way of being less salesy in the process, making it easier for an introvert to just ask for a name. Yes. And instead of saying, who do you think would be interested? Because all of a sudden you think I'm going to sell to your friend. You're not going to give me any names. But as soon as I'm asking for advice, oh, I know this really smart guy. He'll have an opinion. Go talk to him or go talk to this gal. That's the way I come at that. A little softer, right? Mm. That I think is a little easier for introverts to manage. Love it. Yes. So we, so just back to that top three. I think, did we cover two there? We covered reading as one of the top where you start. What, what else did you have? So the other thing is my Monday, Friday thing, like focus on the relationship, 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 relationship. Okay. That's, so that's where it all starts. And, the, and a lot of the relationship is based upon frequency, like just touching base on occasion. And, and a question I like to ask, let's pretend there is nothing here. So you've given me some time or some advice or whatever it is. My question at the end is forget what I do for a living. 
Like what's on your radar screen that maybe I or someone I know could help you with. Mm. So offering to help them solve problems unrelated to your product or service. They're like, yeah, I really have this problem. Oh, hang on a second. I know a guy, you should go talk to Bill. And all of a sudden you connect the two of them and people then feel grateful or gracious, or maybe even a little indebted yeah. that you help them out. They're going to want to try and find a way to return the favor. Yes. It's amazing as you could just in, in Lim, just Southwest, Southwest of Manchester at the moment and arrived two weeks ago, no internet, no business. I couldn't work from home. So I ended up going to a local business center, but I found that through just asking a friend in, in the area who's an, who's an architect as a result of getting to the business center. I also need to do a, a birthday cake for my dad's 80th birthday. I need to get a, a cleaner for when we've left this place. I need to get a mechanic to look after my car. And suddenly, like you say, you're asking about other problems. And suddenly within, literally within two weeks, I've built, built up a network in, in Lim far quicker than I ever thought I'd need to be or expected to, just because I'm talking about their problems, our problems, just trying to help each other. It's amazing. Totally it really works well. So yeah, so so reading, getting into I love the spin one, yeah. getting the relationships. So just talk to me a bit more about relationships though, because as a as again, as an entrepreneur introvert, I'm thinking, okay, it's Monday morning, I'm really busy, and I've got all these emails to deal with, meetings coming up. How do you reframe your mind to focus on the important aspects of selling? So I, I, so I, I can't define it or describe it any better than what I think someone else has said is that if you want to be successful, you have to kiss a lot of frogs. Mm. If you want to find a prince, you got to kiss frogs. So it's, it's all about whether you want to say, because the term I've heard used is eat the frog. Yes. Right. In this case, we're not trying to eat the frog. We're just trying to kiss the frog to see if there's a prince or a princess behind the frog. And my argument is you set aside some time. It doesn't have to be a lot of time. It only has to be like 90 minutes. You say, okay, for 90 minutes, I'm going to kiss a few frogs. And then the first two or three are really hard. But when you set aside a dedicated chunk of time, 90 minutes, first two or three feel really uncomfortable, clunky, but then you begin to get some rhythm and it feels really natural. You get this muscle memory and it works. Mm, uh, then the same thing on the Friday afternoon. After lunch, weekend's coming. It's just a function of, I need to put specific time in my calendar to actually make that happen. Yeah. The, the other thing that can happen, and I've seen some organizations do this really well, is that every now and again, like every 90 days, you have a blitz day. And you take okay. every employee in the organization and every person in the organization spends 90 minutes as a salesperson on that morning and that afternoon. The goal is because sometimes your employees or partners, whatever, will have some success. And every now and again, just ganging up on this process of sales, you'll learn something in the process that's then transferable, repeatable, and scalable. Mm, love it. So the, other, the, the, the aspect of that around the 90 minutes, sometimes 90 minutes can be daunting in a, in a busy day. The other way I've, I've used successfully with my clients is just to start with five or 10 minutes, just see how far you get. Because typically when you start something, as you, to your point there, you start to get into a rhythm, you start to make it easier. So you start with five minutes and before you know it, you're probably doing 15, 20 minutes anyway, but don't be uh, um, distracted or overwhelmed by a 90 minute necessarily, but just start somewhere. Yeah, I think if, and so I, I want to disagree slightly only because I think in the first five or 10 minutes, you haven't gotten any rhythm yet. It doesn't feel good. It takes, like, I think if you set aside 
If you just make it 30 minutes, the first 15 will be like, oh my God, I'm so bad at this. I suck. I don't want to do it anymore. But I promised somebody in the company, so also telling others you're going to do this, right. that I'm going to stick it out for 30 minutes. The last 15 minutes, oh, that was easy. Then you're like, okay, I just want to make one more call. One more call. It's like, I'm sure these introverts are like this. They tell their kids or whatever, I'll be home in 15 minutes. Well, 15 minutes is never 15 minutes. Right. There's always one more semicolon missing or a greater than sign or a, there's something missing somewhere. And you're like, oh, I'll just fix this. And, and the hard part is for me, I think like that from a sales perspective, like some of these introverts think about this from a product perspective. It's like, oh, one more call. Oh, that guy. I haven't phoned that guy for weeks. Let's phone that guy back and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. it's. I think it becomes contagious, but I really think you need, I think a minimum 30 minutes to yeah. to get to the point where you begin to feel good about it doesn't mean i'm right just means i have an opinion right? and also and well i do like the accountability i like your 30 minutes but i like the accountability more it's telling yeah. someone or so or writing it down some commitment some pushing it out in the universe to say hey i'm going to do this means yeah. you're holding yourself accountable to do this so you start to feel bad when you don't and as a result you're more likely to do it totally. so I, I love that accountability i apply the accountability is one of the first thing i do when i'm coming into meeting a new client or an entrepreneur is who's doing what who's accountable for what because having the ownership when you can't do everything so it's making sure you have the right team in place yeah so one one thing just as we come to the last third of this this podcast we've loads of great conversation lots to dive into but one thing i definitely want to pick up because i've often heard, heard this from a number of the clients i speak to is they're busy they have enough work right now for their current team so they don't see the need to sell. Why would I sell? Because if I get more work, I can't deal with it. So, but then I go through these peaks and troughs of work. Yeah. I do, I, I'm busy for six months, a year, and then I have nothing. So I then sell like crazy and I'm busy for six months and then I have nothing. What would your advice around that be? So first of all, I think it's like a help wanted sign. Okay, we're talking if, more about you, that. Yeah, you should have a help. You should have a help wanted sign outside your office or outside your building, all the time, because you have no idea when a really good employee is going to walk by the door and say, "Hey, can I come work for you?" Where if you only put the help wanted sign up when you actually need an employee, you only have access to the people that are open to working for you during that time frame. Mm. which means you're less likely to find a really good employee in the process. So if I think about employees a little bit like customers, then I'm like, I always want to have my help wanted sign out. I always need to be doing something. And, and for the most part, if I don't need business, I'm still going to phone people that matter mm. because I want to foster a stronger relationship so that when later on, if I want their business, a stronger relationship actually create something called transactional velocity, right? Transactional velocity. things right. happen faster. So if I've known you for longer, or we've talked more or have more in common, that when you phone me later, when you really want the business, I'm much more likely to do things sooner than later. So the trough that you're describing, instead of being six months long, now may only be three months long or 30 days long. Mm. So we're not phoning maybe to get business right away. We're phoning to follow up to see if there's a relationship that we can find a way to foster better. But we're always, because the help wanted sign is always there, we're always going to ask the question as part of that follow-up, 
has anything happened or has anything changed recently that makes what we do more important or more affordable? So yes, we're focused on relationships. We're always going to just poke and go, has anything changed that makes you unhappy with the way you do things? Is now the time to start having a conversation instead of waiting until later? Because the problem is if you wait until later, they may have defined the problem in a way that you're no longer a viable solution. And even if they did define the problem the same way you may define the problem, if they've started having a conversation with somebody else. Yeah. They've started down this path of buying from somebody else and to get them to switch is really hard. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole bunch to unpack in that whole piece, but it is super important to always have your help wanted. Don't Love just it. put it out when you want a job. Yeah. And just even, and again, that doesn't mean you're necessarily hiring someone. So don't get overwhelmed with, oh, suddenly I've no. got to recruit them and onboard them and everything else. It's like, no, no, no. This is just connection. Like I say, the relationships, both with your potential buyers, but also relationships with people who could help you. If the perfect employee shows up at your door, like, oh my God, don't go anywhere. Can you start tomorrow or can you start now? But you might see a ton of people and it's all about leaving the door open because mm. luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Sales is really all about timing, saying the right things to the right people at the right time. And if you miss the timing piece, you've lost the opportunity. And that's why I think no matter how busy you are, even if it's only 30 minutes on Monday and 30 minutes on Friday, Take that one hour and foster relationships and just poke and prod. And has anything changed recently? How happy are you with the status quo? Right? Because mm. otherwise you will miss opportunities by being reactive instead of being proactive. Right. Back to those that connection, that intimacy, that yeah. uh, relationship is the ongoing thing. So this is awesome. I love, I, I think we're going to wrap that up because that's a really powerful way to finish the, the uh, help with our audience there as well. But before we finish up completely though, I just want yeah. to regroup on some of the key points I heard here, Craig, and because loads of nuggets and I'm going to pull out a couple that I saw. The Right at the beginning, we were talking about focusing on the wins, not your losses, yeah. focus on what works and tweak that more. And the second one I had there is the, the, the questions, but focus, don't focus on the why because that gets people defensive. What make, instead use what? What makes you think that? What makes you say that? Because it's a much more open, less challenging question. The, the pausing for six seconds, the really uncomfortable pause, which is interesting because that'll bring so much more wealth of information your way, having that, that pause. And introverts, as you mentioned, are really good at doing that. Uh, a new word for me as well, propinquity. Did pro I say that right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Love it. The impact of nearness and that connection. Which then leads on to that one of the other points around the relationship as well. To, to, to stop and stall relationships never works because, as you mentioned, someone might be going in a different direction. So having that propinquity is that nearness and connection relationship. So it's you're always keeping up to date with what's going on and what problems they might have. Uh, as an entrepreneur, where to start? And I love the reading starting specifically with SPIN selling, the S-P-I-N. The, just remind me of that acronym again. Situation. Problem, implication, need. Need, perfect. So it's all about situation. We got we to get beyond some situations into problems, and then we understand the problem. What's the impact or implication of that problem? Oh, well, it turns out that problem is a hundred million dollar problem. Oh, because originally the problem is like it's a ten dollar problem because this thing doesn't work, and I got to replace it with something that's ten bucks instead of two bucks. But the quality returns, the brand impact, and all the rest of that stuff. 
impact on stock price. All of a sudden, it's like this big number. Now, like to spend a hundred thousand dollars to solve a million dollar problem is not a big deal for most people because mm. now they can justify the decision to themselves and somebody else. Yes, you're framing it in a way that means that it makes sense to them rather than just saying buying a product. You, yeah. You're getting a return on that product straight out of that service straight away. And then, and then the final point I wanted to yeah, just the help wanted always be on the open or always be open to new help because you never know, as you said, that perfect employee will come along. Or that perfect customer. And all of a sudden you're like, wow. So I'll just give you one example. I went to help a friend who had a startup. He wanted me to go find, uh, he wanted to have two people as customers, Hewlett Packard and Dell. That's all he wanted. Okay. And made a bunch of phone calls, doing a bunch of emails. I actually started noticing a trend that for whatever reason, the VPs that I was having regular conversations with, they'd almost always answer on Sunday afternoon or Sunday night. Mm. So I got on the habit of instead of emailing them on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I would email them. Last thing I did on Friday was I'd email those few guys or gals because I know now that email is farther up their inbox. And then I get more responses on Sunday and Monday we're having conversations. Awesome. Yes. Yeah, that's that. Again, those neat little tricks, like you say, calls on Monday to ask about the weekend, calls on yeah. Fridays to ask about the upcoming weekend, and then getting in contact with them on the Friday so they read it on the Sunday. Yeah, it's learning to, uh, you're reacting to your customers in the right way or potential clients in the right way. So you're, you're there, when, you're top of mind when you're needed. And then we went for a visit one day after we'd done all that, and it just turned out that was one CTO for one of those organizations showed up in a room, and next thing you know, we're negotiating a $10 million deal. Wow. That's, yeah, that's that was story. that was totally cool because you're you're doing this and the founder's saying, is this working? Is this working? Is this really going to work? We went for a visit and it was like that because mm. all the work had been done pre actually going to do things in person. Yes. A lot of people think that these big headlines events like the $10 million sale or suddenly landing this deal or suddenly opening a new office or whatever that big event is, you only see the event. But in reality, there's a long process that leads up to that point. These any company out there didn't suddenly become massive. They they quickly grow, but there's a process behind that. There's experience, there's learning. It's you know preparing you know the the preparing for that one second of fame. It's it's you have to be ready for it to really have be famous. Well, there's there's a company in Calgary called Benevity, hmm. who is now like that, and they 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 were very focused on a very specific set of customers. And I forget the order, but like Nike, then Google, then Microsoft. And all of a sudden they got three big ones. And it was like, everybody's like, well, if you have those people's customers, let's go. So yeah, you just, you keep plugging away and plugging away and plugging away. And all of a sudden one day something changes. They're like, you need to come. The book called The Challenger Sale, hmm. uh, Matt Dixon, yep. and I forget who else wrote the book, but they talk about this group of people called um, mobilizers. Mobilizers are generally people that are new in their job. People that are new in their job want to facilitate change. Yes. The data I've seen says that 32% of all VPs or higher will make a million dollars worth of decisions in their first 90 days or less. Right. So again, as an introvert, focusing on people. And then when you see the people you know have moved to a new job, let's go follow that guy or gal in their new job because that might be that trigger, that change that makes them say, now's the time to stop the relationship building process and start the business building process. Yes, love it. And then again, what introverts are typically good at is that consistency, reliability, that following yeah. up. Yeah, love it. Awesome. This has been great, Craig. Really love that. I'll uh, looking forward to sharing it with the audience. And if they wanted to contact you and get uh, more information and find out more about you, where can they get hold of you? 
LinkedIn is the best place to find. There's, I think, close to 800 million people on LinkedIn. I've been on LinkedIn since day eight. I think I'm on year 19 or something of that nature. I'm user 3,956 out of God knows how many people now on LinkedIn. Wow. So yeah, if you just type in Craig Elias, hopefully you find the guy in the orange golf shirt and not the murderer in Pittsburgh who is all dressed in red because he's in prison somewhere in Pittsburgh. But yeah, um, LinkedIn <laughs> is the best place. I'm pretty good on LinkedIn. I suck at email. I have 225,000 unread emails in my inbox. Mm. I'm way better at texting. I think my cell phone number might even be in my LinkedIn profile. Right. Yeah. So you look up Craig Elias on LinkedIn, but not that one. Not that one. Not that one. Please. Not that one. Right. Awesome. That was great, Craig. Thank you for your time and have a great day. John, a pleasure. Stay healthy. You have too. a good weekend. Bye, Bye for you. now.